Hello and welcome to Art for the People, a podcast for Nigerian and African writers, artists and thinkers. I'm your host, Molara Wood. You travel to places when reading endlessly. My guest on this episode is Ola Shukosha Shore, author of two books on Nigerian history and presenter of the documentary series Journey of an African Colony, The Making of Nigeria. I start by asking the meaning of his surname, which from a Yoruba perspective is a talking point in itself. media from time to time there's always someone who comes up and asks the question uh, what is the meaning of this name because we have handles on social media now looking into Yoruba names oh, really? and their meanings yes it's it's um, Shashore Shashore so uh, what is what is the meaning it's, it's, it's that's an interesting question because um, not I don't get asked that many times because I guess Yoruba people assume that they know that it's some say it's Shashore, some people say Shashore, some people say, you know, uh, because they're trying to find Yoruba meaning for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's mixed in history itself. Um, I'm from, uh, my ancestral family is from Lagos Island, but we have strong links um, with both the Egun community and the Bini community. Uh, those two events are tied with the history of Lagos. Uh, and therefore, the name has a prefix. Uh, so the prefix would mean that it would be Ori Shashore. Mm-hmm. And then over time, because of the uh, one of our progenitors, who was um, a Balogun, a warrior, uh, a warrior chief, it, he got his nickname was added to a suffix of the name. So the family uh, chieftaincy name is Orishashore Abako. Abako. Uh, yes, which is an Asha, which is it's like what people do became their names. So if you were a goldsmith, you'd be called a goldsmith. If you were a welder, you'd be called a welder. And Abako was one of the things that he was known for. He had a, he had a, a, a satchel that contained what he used in war. Uh, and, and, and that was... Okay, Abako. Abako, Abako. Okay. And okay. uh, yes, So the the name Shashore has its um, roots in that. So and it's not that easy to approximate. Many many um, Lagos ancestral names have a mixture of culture involved in how they're named. And whether it is uh, Bajulai, which approximates to Bazwai. Uh, mm-hmm. Or bash. The, uh, the Edo, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't want to make it as simple as to say Edo mm-hmm. because phonetically and I think um, linguistically, um, both uh, the Oyo people as well as the Bini people, notice I said Bini, not Edo, notice I said Oyo, not Yoruba, are, <laughs> are linked. <laughs> Okay. But that's story for another day. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. So you're you're a lawyer, senior advocate of Nigeria, former attorney general of Lagos. What led you to writing books? Well, I, I, I think my 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 interest in history 
um, happened to me at, very, at a very young age. And I must say that um, it ha probably happened so early that by the time it came to choosing a career and choosing a university course, the first course that I chose when I did jam, well, when I tried to film the jam form on my own, was to study archaeology. Um, and there was only one university at the time that studied archaeology was JOS. Um, and I'd filled the form, fortunately for me, um, I filled it in pencil. <laughs> and for some, somehow my parents saw it and they were are you out of your mind? What, 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 what does that mean? What, what is that? What is archaeology? <laughs> what are you going to do? And I consulted nobody. I just felt this is what I wanted to do. So obviously I was totally dissuaded from doing that. And uh, law was my second love. Um, I, I hate to say it now because many people feel that I'm a lawyer first. And I am a lawyer first, but um, I, I'm fortunate that um, time has given me the opportunity to explore my second interest, which could have been my first love. So it's, it's, it's good. Okay. Was there a time when you were not going to uh, explore this second uh, interest? Is there something that then sparked okay. this? Yeah, okay. Well, I, I, you're absolutely, that's a great question because I guess once I had, um, once I had um, ticked off some of my boxes in, in law, I felt that I, I needed to, to satisfy this hunger. And you know about the hunger. You know about this. Uh, yeah, I, need, I needed to satisfy this hunger, this desire to explore and uh, desire to tell stories. And also, I think it was a public service in me. Um, I think deep inside me, I'm, I'm a public servant. Unfortunately, in Nigeria, that phrase is used to, uh, to mean, uh, you know, government office, uh, minister, what have you. No, public service is just what it means. Service, service to, to the, the people. Public. Yeah, that's it. So there's a public service in me that just couldn't shy away from it. So by the time I felt I had ticked some boxes in law, I said, let me contribute. Uh, to heritage and history. And I say that advisedly because people often say, oh, yeah, historian. Uh, that kind of makes me sound like, uh, sound like an academic, academician. I'm not. I'm, we, we, I would like to classify myself as um, a history enthusiast. Um, I write history. We do investigative history. Uh, which accords with what the people can consume easily. Academic history, and I have a lot of regard for it, one of the sources that we benefit from, tends to distance itself from the people. Uh, in the analysis, you lose people. Tends to talk down to the people and sometimes. Tends to talk down to the people, yeah. You're absolutely right. So mm. we're, we're trying to fill that gap. And there's a whole group of us... Um, we, we know ourselves, we see ourselves in the field, we bump into each other in archives between London, Lagos, uh, and all sorts of funny places. That... I see you've done a lot of collaborations with uh, one of them, maybe, Ed Ikerzo. Yes, Ed Ikerzo, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and he's, he's way out there, he's really good. Um, a number of other people, Amanda Kirby, uh, Joliba Heritage, you might have heard of her, I'm sure she's very active on, on Facebook and Nigerian Nostalgia and all that sort of thing, she's very good. We have an alliance. I'll talk about that in a bit. Okay. So, uh, investigative history. Why did it need to be investigated? It suggests to me 
things having been excluded from the archives, from the records, mm. things not being on record, maybe the true history mm. of the people sometimes mm. not having been placed on record. Is mm. that why there's a need to dig things out? Mm. That it's, 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 mm. it's not there for the picking. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and you're right. It, it's a subject called historiography, okay. which is slightly different from uh, history on its own. It is the it is the knowledge of when we knew what we know, um, and that's the investigative part of history, and that's the area where the rules are much more relaxed, and you chase down uh, you chase down leads, you chase down um, small footnotes, you chase down bibliography. You chase down things that are nothing more than a hunch, and you bring out things that a lot of the academicians miss, um, because you're not tied to all the rules that um, you know um, teaching obliges you to. So yeah, it is it is that freedom to explore, and it's taken me to some very interesting places. Uh, yeah, and you know I hope we can talk about some of them. Some okay, very great, interesting great. So that freedom to explore that you just mentioned is a creative uh, endeavor also in some ways. Would you agree or no? Yeah, some people have Maybe told me Maybe it's just that. the creative writer in me <laughs> yeah. wanting some, yeah, <laughs> some wanting allies. Some, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some people have said that, that it's an art form. Um, but, you know, I, I will concede that there is art involved in it because you tell a story. And I will concede there's art in it because I abhor art for the sake of it. I think art has to have a purpose. Um, so to the extent that this is a purposeful expression, I can admit that it is, an, it is an art. But that it is a fantasy and the, um, the conjuring part of art, um, I, I, I'll push back from that. That it's a figment of somebody's yeah. imagination. I, I'll push you would back push from against that. that. But, but besides that, I think it's an expression of... of, of um, of, of a, a story that needs to be told. Your first book, Possessed, A History of Law and Justice in the Crown Colony of Lagos, 1861 to 1906. <laughs> what led to the writing of it? When did it become something that was inevitable for you? Yeah, well, um, in that title, that very long title, the subtitle, you can see the mixture of who I am. There's the law and history. Um, and I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. Um, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time because essentially I was mixing my vocations, law and history, but at the same time I was trying to access history through um, a particular prism. It's only now that I realize that it's actually a very known technique that you can you use you use a window to access history and it creates a journey i didn't realize when i was writing this book that i was using that technique because i just found it random in the fact that the law books had a lot of history and in the law books told the history of lagos and i knew the history of lagos was interwoven with the history of how nigeria came about so this subtitle was a creation of the fact that i thought Hang on, the law books and the law reports and legal situations that created Lagos and therefore led in some way 
I always have to say some way, to pushing Nigeria into existence is an access to history. So that's why I found it compelling to write. And I had, I kept bumping into so many sources, so many old law cases, and so many um, uh, transcripts, and some of the oldest books I own today, because um, I collect original books, um, were created, helped to create this book. Helps to create this book. So how long did it take to write? Oof, this, this, this was hard. Um, I think it, it, it's gotten easier since the first book. This was hard, and I would say um, easily it took the best part of four years to, to write this book. Four years. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I I think I could have done so many things differently with what I know now, but again, we've got to treat our knowledge fixed in the time in the context of the time that we know what we do. Um, so I've revised it only once only revised it for the purpose of making sure that people get what the book is about but the knowledge is still the same fixed in the time that i knew it but there are many things now that i will build on in other in other ways mm -hmm. i guess with the the publication of possessed uh, maybe people want exactly expect because it has something to do with case law yeah people yeah, weren't exactly expecting yeah, yeah. that you were going to go yeah, further yeah further <laughs> yeah. so but but first what was the reaction to how, how was it received the first book well well you know finally and i think this is why i talk about the title when i when somebody saw it they said possessed and you know I, we have a lot of christian friends and they said wow i mean this is, this <laughs> possessed, is, uh, by, possessed spirit? by spirit i mean i'm not reading this <laughs> and, and the word possessed came from a dispatch that was written by the prime minister well the foreign minister to the prime minister in 1861 um i think it was august the 5th almost an anniversary for today is the 15th so it was the day before lagos was annexed mm -hmm. and the that's the dispatch used the word that lagos is now the, a possession of the crown of england and from that day onwards which is now the 6th of august when it was formally signed away by a treaty lagos was possessed by the british so when i explain it in that way people then started to relax then but i thought the provocative title was enough for <laughs> it got attention <laughs> to get people's attention yeah and also, some people might even think "possessed" is this a Nollywood title <laughs> before coming to the to the to the subtitle of it. And, and, uh, and there's an aspect of history writing the way we do it, what we call people's history, is to tell it in a way that you can read it easily. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if we ha if I had called it some analytical title or something, it, I would have lost. Uh, that, that, that was the plan. Yeah. Uh, you, you do say in the. Uh, the introduction that your your mission in writing these books is to make history accessible to as many people as possible mm. yeah and this is the part where i thank you for reading from some of the early manuscripts <laughs> Malaya, thank you very much uh, because i really was unsure on how it would be received but yes the purpose is to um make history more accessible the purpose of history in our lives is to tell us who we are because with who we are we're equipped with who we can be and it is a building block of society uh, and to deprive a people however so-called 
the knowledge of who they are is to deprive them of their history. So the access to history, to me, is a public service. It's a public service. Yeah. What would you say about the state of history awareness in Nigeria today? It is sad. It's sad. It's sad that we don't um, we don't see the the power. People call it soft power, but when they put soft before power, it kind of diminishes it. But I think soft in the description of the fact that it is not gun power or it is not machine guns and, and weaponry, but soft in the sense that you miss it because it's subliminal, but it is still power, and that's what history is to the nation. And it's sad, the state we find our history in today, because there's very little emphasis on uh, acquiring knowledge. There's very little um, emphasis placed on allowing the public to see it, the, the archival uh, methodology, the, the, the records and monuments, um, museums, education in history, the heritage um, documentation it's it's really sad it's really sad try and look at the next budget that the nation provides and see how much is devoted to antiquities and monuments you you'll be sad <laughs> <laughs> so no awareness of anything that is not going to bring immediate gratification or, or return or reward yeah and it's sad now that we go chop kind yeah, of yeah, mentality sort of thing. And, and but, but it's sad because the nations we admire are built on the power of their history. America is nothing without their history. And their people are told it every day. So what makes people go the extra mile? What makes the 4th of July something that the whole world does? I mean, why would I? Very few Americans know October 1st because we don't talk about October 1st. Uh, but the 4th of July is, 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 a, is, is an international uh, date. And, and that is the power of history. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, looking over my notes on the way here, um, I was uh, seeing again the notes that I'd made from the, we will come and talk about the documentaries, of course, but uh, of March 15th, 1903, the attack on Sokoto. Mm. And just thinking over that again, and, and then I thought, why, why isn't a day like this commemorated? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. I mean, the, the you know days in American history, Runnymede, days in English history, the, the, the Battle of Hastings, those things are known to primary school students. I had to bring out that you've moved to the pla platter of gold now. This is the making of Nigeria. Um, the, my my second book. Yes, I'm I'm yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm the, jumping ahead of yeah, myself. No, no, no problem. No, no problem. But um, that the the battle for Sokoto was pivotal in the creating in creating nigeria because you couldn't have gotten the northern province without getting the sultan and you couldn't have joined the north with any form of south or lagos without having that northern territory so the 15th of march 1903 where lugard the night before um hurriedly wrote his will because he knew what he was up against, a very fierce and loyal uh, servant of the people in the Sultan Atahiru of the day, um, is something that many primary, no primary, very few primary school students know it, very few adults know it, and it's certainly not taught. And yes, you're right, it's sad that um, we don't. I'm, I'm hoping that we can push 
stuff like that out into the public space? I don't think that I ever gave a thought to the attack <laughs> on Sokoto in my life until your book and the documentary. But we'll, we'll come back to Lugard later because yes. Lugard, is, Lugard is a whole chapter. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite guys. Yeah. So you then wrote a second book. What led to that? A Platter of Gold. Yes. Um, a Platter of Gold, Making of Nigeria, yeah. 1906 to 1960. Yeah. I also note that it's almost a, a chronologically, it's a continuation of possessed although on a much much larger canvas yeah because I've, possessed ends 1906 and this one begins 1906 yeah absolutely mm -hmm. and 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 you're right and so it is a sequel in some way but it's not a sequel of um of just the subject it's a sequel of consequential events and the reason why 1906 was the end of Possessed was, was it was in 1906 that Lagos Colony, the first British possession in this part of the world, was joined up with an area called the Southern Protectorate to create Southern Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And it was that Southern Nigeria that was created in 1906 that was joined with Northern Nigeria in 1914. So when people say amalgamation, the amalgamation actually took three steps, two steps. It wasn't just one uh, uh, event. It was one a, thing there was that a, happened in yeah. one fell swoop. Yeah, so there, was an, there was an amalgamation in 1906 between Lagos, the country. Lagos was a country with a separate flag, a separate head of state, with the Southern Protectorate, which was part of the Royal Niger Company and, well, Royal Niger Company Charter. And once those two areas were joined, they became Southern Nigeria. Well, so the two Nigerias were then joined in 1914. So it is a continuation by consequence, um, making of Nigeria. So everyone knows about amalgamation 1914. Why do you think the earlier amalgamation of the Lagos colony with the Southern Protectorate, why do you think that's not so up there in the public imagination? In Nigeria. It's interesting though, because when even you see um, federal government's publications, they seem to just skip the event. And I, I can't understand why. I'm, again, that's a problem um, by just narrative and oversimplification. I think it is very key uh, that you realize that the accident of coming into Lagos was consequential to the creation of Nigeria. I'm not saying that the Royal Niger Company wasn't an agent of the British Empire working in the Delta, working in the Asaba area, but their interest was nothing but to extract commercial uh, products. The political seizing of Lagos in 1861 was a deliberate attempt to say, no, we want to control this area before anybody else does. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Okay, so the writing of the book, A Platter of Gold. Well, how yeah. did that come about, and why did you, did you get to a how did you get to a point where you thought I need to do this, and this is needed? No, I, I, and this to me was my opus uh, so far. I, I really loved writing it. 
because, like you say, it was a bigger canvas. Um, and I found some, I, I honestly, probably I've never said this publicly before, but I didn't set out to write the book that it turned out to be. Okay, so what book did you turn out to, <laughs> did you set out to write? So I said, I said to myself, okay, um, there were eight governors of Nigeria okay. in the life of Nigeria as a colony. Why don't I cross from where we've been looking and cross over to Britain and look at how Nigeria was shaped by these eight people? So it was studying these eight people from, um, from the colonial imagination, from Lugard to Robertson, each one of them and what they did, that the story started to emerge. And all of a sudden I saw that there were Nigerian heroes that people had forgotten, people didn't know very well, and people just were not aware of. Um, and so you will see the governors in the book, but they're no longer the emphasis. The emphasis is now on those incidents that happened in their tenure. So in the awful and absolutely terrible regime of a guy called Graham Thompson, on whose street named after whom we are sitting today. <laughs> Unfortunately. So sorry. <laughs> was was the Aba women's so called Aba women's riot, which was pivotal to the creation of Nigeria. You know, um and, and you know, and so on and so forth. And the Atahiru attack under Lugard. Um, and in 1949, the uh, uh, Governor Richards dealing with the um, minor strike in, in Enugu. I, and, and Iva Valley. Yeah, the Iva Valley. And, okay, Iva, yeah. okay. I, I, I called it Iva Valley as well. And in the documentary, <laughs> I called it Iva Valley. Okay. But I've been told that the locals call it Iva. Iva, mm. okay. So Iva, it shall Iva be. It. <laughs> <laughs> Iva, it is. Iva, 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 Valley. Iva Valley. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, so how long did this take to write and what kind of research went into it? I'm asking this because I, I, I imagined, I may be wrong, that maybe with Possessed, you just had to look mostly uh, amongst your law books. Whereas with this one, maybe some, so a, a different kind of research uh, would have taken place. No, unfortunately, it's not that simple. Um, um, in, in Possessed, I had done a lot of research that didn't make it into the book. So a lot of the work that didn't make it into the book is inside a platter of gold. So I was a bit lucky there. And even though there, uh, there, are some, there is an emphasis on law, in Possessed, I did a lot of work in the newspaper, um, um, newspaper library, part of the subsidiary of the British Library. It's being closed now by the British government because of uh, funding. But all the newspapers of the Commonwealth, and I found all the newspapers of colonial Nigeria, I'm talking Lagos Weekly Record, the West African Pilot, Lagos Herald, the Observer, book, I mean, newspapers that we scarcely have copies of in Nigeria are there. And in our type of history, in the people's history, the newspapers is a, a, a veritable resource because it shows you what people are doing there. The adverts they were listening, they okay. were watching, they were, they were reading. The people who are dying, the people who are getting married, the headlines. It shows you, it takes you right back there. And, and that's what I used a lot in Possessed. But a lot of that research that didn't make it into the book because of time, that is 1906, was what I built on in A Platter of Gold. Um, so yes, 
I went to the colonial office, colonial office library, British library, Kew Gardens, the archives, the Nigerian archives in University of Ibadan. Um, I was I was in the uh, archives of the Lagos High Court, which has a lot of records. Um, uh, primary sources, really. I was always after primary sources, not secondary sources. So how long did this take? Ah, possessed was, I mean, a plot of gold. A plot of gold. It was three years. Three, three years. years. And okay. how was it? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. I enjoyed writing a plot of gold. I think the first one was painful, but the second one, I, re I thoroughly enjoyed it. Because I was, I was, I was meeting people who I'd heard of, but I'd never really known how deeply uh, I admired. Atahiru, I mean... Okay, meeting them historically. Meeting them historically. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, hats off for him. I mean, um, the way you talked about uh, Atahiru. Uh, <laughs> Atahiru the Great. <laughs> the Great. The Splend... I mean... And you, you create this vision of Lugard, a tiny man, really. <laughs> a slip of a man, yeah. A slip of a man <laughs> in front of this you know, golden figure of yeah. the sultan, felt yeah. by someone much smaller mm. than him. Mm. Smaller know? than him so, in size. So it's clear that mm. you do admire this 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 um, sultan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he, maybe he was, maybe he overestimated his power, but then many kings do. Maybe he underestimated um, Lugard's cunning, Many adversaries do, but one thing he couldn't have known. Othello probably underestimated Iago. There you go. There you go. And uh, literature and history is replete with that. But I think one thing he couldn't have um, um, bet on. One thing he couldn't have bet on yeah. was the scientific invention called the Maxim, the Maxim gun, gun, which was a devastating weapon, and. I remember reading some of the contemporaneous reports. One of the one of the survivors of that battle, uh, several years later, said that it was raining metal. Hmm. That's how the bullets. fast the bullets were coming, um, and, and nobody could have anticipated the, the ruthlessness of Lugard uh, and his desire to achieve uh, this mission of acquiring the Northern Territory. So meeting people you admire through history. Mm. Michael Limodu. Uh, I must mention Michael Limodu. <laughs> get his name in. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so you commend this to others. Yes, I do. And that it's a worthwhile thing yes. if they would just look into the I, history of. Yeah, I do. I do. And I, and, and I must put up my hands to say that by no means is the, a platter of gold or possessed, but let's talk about platter of gold. Yeah. By no means, because I, I have faced some criticism. Okay. Um, some, you know, Nigerian, some uh, part of Nigeria says, ah, oh, but you didn't talk about Nana Vishakiri, oh, but you didn't talk about, um, and, and yes, I, I didn't talk about them, uh, not because they're not important, but yeah. I needed to tell a story. Um, so they're, they're people who are no less heroic, uh, and no less important, who didn't make it into the book, not because they're not important, and I did mention many of them, but I maybe not have gone into depth uh, about their story, but that's the nature of storytelling, that yeah. um, you, you have to just project what you can, um, and there are loads of other people who contributed 
in um, unacknowledged, un, un um, appreciate, underappreciated contributions to the creation of Nigeria. I mean, it, it raises the question really that how many things can you include in one book? Absolutely. So how did you decide, for instance, which ones <laughs> were com were so compelling yeah. that they warranted this their own uh, passages or chapters yeah. in this book? Yeah. Well, I followed a story and I followed where the story took me to. And that story, don't forget, I said, was built on the spine of the uh, administrations of the eight governors. So once I was following the timelines of the eight governors, I was looking for the most pivotal events mm -hmm. in their administration that led to the next administration. And that, that's what, so I didn't do the choosing. The story chose itself. Uh, so you've said that part of uh, this is a quest to answer the question, just how is a nation made? Mm -hmm. If you were to ask to say in a sentence or two, how is a nation like, like Nigeria made, what would you say? Ideas. People. You know, there's a phrase. I'm, I, I talk about this phrase in both the documentary and in the Plateau of Gold. There's a phrase, and the phrase goes like this. Nigeria is a mere geographical expression. Well, Often I, attributed to Chief Obafemi Awolowo, yeah, yeah. but you've, you've pointed us further to yeah. an earlier period. Yeah. So do yeah. please carry on. Yeah, um, and that expression itself is suggestive of the fact that there's something peculiar about Nigeria being a geographic expression. And I, I posit that um, all countries are geographic expressions because they're all artificial constructs, because they must have a border. And the p placing of a political border itself is a political, therefore artificial act. So there is no nation that is not an artificial construct. And to that extent, there is no nation that's not a geographic expression. Now, to put mere in front of it, I don't know, maybe to emphasize the fact that it is an inconsequential geographic expression, but I think Nigeria needs to recognize that we are an idea and we are built of people. And if we renew, reinforce, and purchase the idea that Nigeria is, therein lies the progress of a nation. Um, America is an idea. America is an idea. America um, is an idea. It's a myth. Yeah. Uh, United Kingdom. <laughs> the mythology. It's United, all mythology, most of the it. The United yeah. Kingdom of Great Britain was an idea. And the idea was we are an island who must protect itself from the Saxons, the, the Vikings, and all those people. They're, it was built on we need to protect ourselves. Yeah. We need to define what Nigeria is as an idea. And once we, we then purchase that idea, and that's the idea that drives nations. Uh, but the longer we bicker about um, the fact that, oh, we were forced together because nobody really wanted to be together, I'm not sure it, it, there's no, it doesn't go very far. Uh, crying over being together is it, a bit late. We're together. So we've got to make it work. And then it's people that make it work. So. My answer to that question, difficult as it was, is ideas and people. Ideas and people. So, um, 
to to bicker over how Nigeria came together is to not ex is to uh, display a lack of faith in the national project. You seem to be suggesting. Yeah, uh, it is to is to is to is to um, is to ignore the power of, of an idea for nation building, and is to ignore the power of the people into making nations work. And there are examples where those two factors have built nations successful nations. So the line Nigeria is but a mere geographical uh, expression you've reminded us was originally from Lugard. Yes, from Lugard. Okay. From Lugard's inauguration speech actually. And then from a platter of gold, how was that received? What kind of conversations <laughs> aside from people saying why didn't you include this person or my, that person or our, my our hero. <laughs> own? Aside from that, what other kind of interesting conversations have you been uh, involved in, in around it and how has it been received well recently uh, how it, it mixture it's always always a mixture any intellectual exercise in itself is a reward so if you embark on an intellectual exercise you you expect your reward to be the exercise of your intellect if you're looking for any other gratification you're wasting your time however i i, I have received some mixed um, comments only recently, about three or four weeks ago, I, I went up to Abuja to see um, an elderly statesman. And knowing fully well that I, I wanted to leave him uh, on, a, on a good note, I took up a copy of the book, which I was sure he'd never heard of, but he had. <laughs> but I gave it to him. And he said, yeah, yeah, he's been wondering, what, what, what's his title? A platter of gold? What, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, I mean, yeah, because, you know, Nigeria was given on a platter of gold. I said, <laughs> excuse me, sir. Maybe if you read the book, I, I, I actually disagree that it was because... It was hard won. It was hard, hard won. He said, no, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you at all. That it was The reason why we're not a country is because we were given on a platter of gold. If we had suffered like other people, and I just like, I gritted my teeth and I said, okay, sir, when you read the book, please. And he said, yeah, I'll read the book. But there you go. So people are convinced that we have this national problem of being dashed the country. We were dashed. We were just... British. We were dashed our own country. Yeah. yeah Nigeria, Nigerians didn't suffer. We, we didn't have militants. We didn't struggle. We didn't fight. Nobody died. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, I mean, uh, I, I have the very strong impression that part of what you're doing is uh, a historical corrective. Would that be an accurate reading of what you're doing here? By that I mean uh, correcting misconceptions such as we were gifted Nigeria. Well, I'd never be presumptuous to say that my, my accounts are correct. And I don't think history... People forget that one of the most dynamic subjects in the world is history. People tend to think that one of the most certain things in the world is history, whereas one of the most dynamic things in the world is history because it keeps changing when we find out new things. And constantly contested also Absolutely. and revisited. Absolutely. Not revised, but revisited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I would never be so presumptuous as to say my accounts or my investigation are correct. But to the extent that I'm driven by fact and findings, I think that the worth of it is to look at my findings and see how it juxtaposes with what you thought before and see what you now know.
So how did we get go from there to you producing documentaries? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, Whose idea was it? Well, yeah, I think it was my family. Um, my wife and my son just kept on badgering me about, you know, audiobooks. Um, you know, I mean, we're going to be a, a nice book, but, but what are you going to do? I mean, we want young people to get it. And... Um, I just was exhausted. I've just finished the book. Please leave me alone. And then the discussion centered around um, doing um, a podcast of the book. It's interesting because we're talking on a podcast right now. <laughs> and I said podcast. What's Eventually that? you get on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, at this, on this day, I said, I said, what's that? What's the podcast? And they told me what the podcast was. Um, and I said, oh, really? And from that medium came the thought of actually visualizing it. And from that's where the idea grew from, and I, I think my my son and my, my 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 wife were very pivotal in making that stick in my head, and then it became just a a, a passion, and uh, it was fun to do, um, and that's where the whole the whole concept came from. So a platter of gold and possessed are both in the documentary. In the documentary, yeah. So. Um, Explain the, the 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 structure of the documentary because there's a there's a feature length production, yeah. and then there are about seven episodes yeah. which have been yeah serialized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, 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 the original which have been serialized yeah. on, on yeah. TV. The know? original format is uh, a seven part series. Mm -hmm. And that that's how it was designed, um, which is I see. it's it, it's presented by me with all modesty, but as in the story is told and the the visuals are um, produced uh, by Karama Productions and a very gifted young director, um, and my crew uh, were a bunch of young young thirty uh, somethings and under thirty something year olds who knew very little about Nigeria's history and were quite uninterested in this project, but just were paid to come and show up on the first day. And I remember coming downstairs in my house and I saw them all in jeans and t-shirt and earrings and they were just yawning with their funny colored hair and they think, what's this old man just wasting my time? I want to shoot a, a music video. A music video. <laughs> <laughs> but within two days, they were the ones who would wake me up in the morning. Let's go, let's go. And yeah. they bit the bug and I, I worked with them for about nine months. It was a thoroughly enjoyable experience, um, being the baba <laughs> in the yeah. in, in the troop. So yeah, um, so that's the original format, the seven part series. The feature length was created so that we could um, test public viewing and see how people received it. So it was edited by the film editor into a one hour thirty minute. Um, thing instead of the whole four hours that the uh, seven seven part series is, but I, I tend to like the original format, and, and that's what's now being released commercially. Hopefully, um, well, you heard it here publicly for the first time on Netflix. It's the first I time I'm saying. I was going to ask you <laughs> yeah. that this should go on Netflix. What yeah. is happening? Yeah, yeah, we're very proud to say that. Um, I, um, I think uh, my producers. Uh, our distributors and Netflix have struck an agreement and hopefully um, in early October 
uh, it will be serialized and available for the Nigerian public on, on Netflix. Wonderful, wonderful. First time I'm saying it. Congratulations, that's great, <laughs> that's great. Watching you, uh, you know, on the various uh, the episodes of the documentary, I just kept thinking of uh, TV historians <laughs> like Simon Sharma and so on. And are there anyone, uh, any historians on TV out there that you particularly uh, admire or that you've collaborated with or you're thinking of working with oh, or yeah. that have influenced your style? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it would be silly for me to say that uh, I wasn't influenced by uh, Ali Masri and his series called Africa. I mean, a lot of contemporaries who I, I collaborate with, um, Zainab Badawi did uh, an excellent work on Africa recently. I worked fixing some of her problems while she was here and we, we talk and we still chat once in a while. Uh, David Olusoga, uh, who's done the work on Black and British, excellent book, and he does a series on BBC. Um, he's visited when he was in Nigeria. We've, we've, we've talked on the hopefully collaborating in future. Uh, these are people who uh, are doing work from a very European angle. Um, I'm proud to say that um, I, I like to tell a Nigerian story from a Nigerian point of view, which is unfortunately a voice that is not heard enough. And I think that's the unique thing that you know we'd like to push going forward. So you bring a lot of dramatic flair to you, the way you present, the way you tell the stories. Uh, Consul H. H. Johnson, mm. you know, Johnson, Johnson Light, <laughs> and things like that. And then you, you you deliver this, and then you just walk out of the shot. Where did this come from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I did that, but yes, if you say so. Um, going in the courtroom, really. Um, in in advocacy, you you learn to deliver, and I guess somebody asked me this question, and I think that's the only explanation I can have. They said, where was I trained? Well, I was never trained. And um, I think if it has come, I don't, if it has come at all, it's come from from 30 years of law practice. <laughs> Winning people over yes, by, the, by the strength of your argument. Yeah, yeah. Persuasion, advocacy, marshalling your points, trying to find a way to deliver it at the right time. Maybe. I, I'm not, I'm trying to be modest here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the baritone voice didn't hurt. <laughs> Well, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the very beginning in the documentary, you go back to the original scene, hmm. the slave trade, Absolutely. slavery. Yeah. Now, usually when people think about Nigerian history, they don't often think that they need to go back that far. It was shocking to me um, in researching the book of how um, how little slave trade. Uh, featured in our national narrative. Uh, it just seemed as if uh, colonials came here and they've just started selling timber and tin, rubber and cocoa. Um, it didn't happen like that. There, there, there was a whole period of 200 years of uh, contact with us in which the cargo that they were interested in wasn't tin, rubber or cocoa. It was human beings. And it was that contact that brought about the latter-day interest. It was that visiting us 
if you like, and stealing that cargo that brought about Nigeria. And we weren't called the slave coast. And Lagos wasn't called a slave port, or Old Calabar wasn't called the headquarters of slaves for nothing. Um, and we need to know that slave trade is part of the world story. And Nigeria is an integral part, in fact, one of the most important parts of that slave trade story. And therefore, we are a, we are a key part of the world's history. And so Nigeria is not just, oh, the most populous nation of black people. It's one of the most important turning points uh, in the history of the world. So that's why I thought it was important to show the connection between Nigeria and slave trade. We are intrinsically related. And Nigeria hasn't had a reckoning with that. No. Uh, legacy no. of the slave trade. For some reason, it isn't in our national narrative, and I think it needs to return to. We've had people in the past, uh, Moshud Abiola, who's talked about reparations, but even that 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 discussion wasn't built on history. It was built on oh, well, we stole up. Nigeria was one of the most prolific area areas of slave stealing and cargo cargo transportation throughout that era. With you remember the Amazing Grace story? Yes. That was painful. Please tell it. That was painful. Um, you know, there, there's this, there's this uh, well, it's an Anglican hymn, um, let's call a spade a spade, um, written by a guy called John Newton in the 1700s. Um, and it is um, sung in Anglican churches. But most importantly, it is part now of black American folklore. So it's a folk song. So part of this liberation rhetoric. Yes. And so the Ameri black Americans talk about the amazing grace that saved them from slavery. But ironically, it was written by a man who was a slave trader. The captain of a slave ship. A prolific slave uh, uh, voyager who was writing about his redemption from slave trading. Uh, <laughs> And he's, he, he operated from Calabar. Not, and black Americans, the Anglican community, and Nigeria just somehow have not connected their dots and seen how related we are in that song. But even when they connect the dots, it's used to advance this uh, argument that, oh, uh, if he could be saved, so could you, in the churches anyway. Yeah, and, and, and it's good because he obviously was alluding to that. But he wasn't talking about his history. His redemption was a redemption from a life of sin, which sin he doesn't mention. And it is that whitewashing of history that we mustn't allow because it is a treasure. It is part of who we are. He can't pretend it was a sin of lies or it was a sin of stealing, or it was a sin of um, uh, uh, um, uh, adultery. Or, you know, it, it was the or irregular sin. everyday sin. Yes, it was the the ultimate sin of murder through the murder of, yeah, of thousands. Yeah, of thousands of people through the Middle Passage. Okay, so you've mentioned whitewashing. Now you actually do call it a, from the Nigerian perspective a cleansing yeah. of the Nigerian 
his uh, story of uh, slavery. Cleansing of Nigerian story out of the world history, and we've got to put it back. Okay. Uh, last year, 2019 in Ghana was the year of return mm. for our brothers and sisters yes. in the diaspora whose ancestors were taken yeah. as captives from yeah. these coasts to, to visit yeah. Ghana. But no, hardly came, a peep from Nigeria. Nobody came to Nigeria. Well, well Nigeria, did Nigeria itself invite anybody? Absolutely. Was Nigeria Absolutely. waiting for anybody? Did Nigeria have anything to say? Yeah. Why is that? Why do we continue with that kind of silence? I, I can't put my finger on it. Something happened in our colonial experience that made us diminish ourselves in the world uh, history. And somebody convinced us that, you know, we were okay to just be some people who sold timber, cocoa, and rubber. I, I just, I, I, and we've got to stop it. We've got to stop it because I, I know, I know of ancestry programs of black American celebrities who found their genealogy and found where they're from and where they're from is Nigeria. And when they come back to Africa, they go to Ghana, they go to Gambia. They go to Elmina Castle. Elmina, then, Elmina uh, Castle. They go to Jury, Gori Island. Gori Island. What, 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 yeah. what, what is that? And it's, I think it's, we need to be intentional about our history. We can't be accidental about it. We need to be intentional because it is the power of the people. Yeah. So who's going to, who's going to do that, number one? Then number two, you do visit uh, Badagri yeah. in the documentary. Yeah. And there's also the question of, the monuments of the slave trade in Nigeria, how well looked after are they? How many people know what is the governing structure for these places? What do you think about the slave monuments in Nigeria? About the preservation of those, I mean. Well, the monuments are important. Um, um, artifacts are important. But the narrative is important too. Okay. Uh, and, you know, if we've been careless with some monuments and we've had artifacts stolen, don't forget, a lot of our stuff was stolen. But our memory wasn't stolen. Why, why do we refuse to memorialize our memory? Why, why can't we do that? Um, nobody can take that from us. You can't steal my memory. You can, try and, you can try and diminish it, but once I get it back, you can't take it from me. So, so we have ourselves to blame. Um, and, I, and I think... We need to be more intentional, and the sooner it becomes a, a key part of policy, public policy, the better. Okay, so from you know slave monuments to you've you've talked about being very interested in heritage, yes. and in this documentary, uh, you're seen visiting so many places of historical significance in Nigeria, okay. some public buildings also. Um, I just wondered what you, what, what are your thoughts about the preservation of historical buildings in Nigeria? This is something that is a sore point for me. Right. And we are in Lagos. Lagos is replete with mm. such, we, we just are in this culture where People get things get pulled down and replaced by shiny new things, <laughs> and and I wonder what's your own impression about the how many you think we have and the uh, is there enough awareness about the need 
to preserve those th those structures. I think that you've touched the point. It's, a, it's the awareness that doesn't exist. I mean, I mean, why would anybody in his right mind tear down uh, a church building built in 1906 or 1890 something to put up a huge air-conditioned colosseum. I, I just don't get it. And the, and the law to protect against it didn't exist at some point. When it did, it wasn't enforced. And till today, people still flout the law of listed buildings or protected monuments and artifacts. People still would rather have a shiny new air-conditioned uh, building than, you know, what the history represents. So I think it's awareness. Um, and this awareness can only be fixed by conversations like what we're having now and the work you're doing and making people understand the purpose of art um, and the fact that art has multifaceted media uh, and the fact that some of it could be expressed in buildings, in pictures, in paintings, in writings, in, in, in oral history. Um, and there's a point, oral history needs to be recorded. Archival attitudes need to change. Mm -hmm. Um, today, alone, history was made. How well did we trap it? What, are, what is our architecture for trapping the data of history today in Nigeria? It's very poor. It's very poor. And, and you, you go to places like Library of Congress with over, uh, over 10 million entries, and you go to National Archives where I, let's not talk about it. I mean, it's really, really. I have sad. gone to places where historical documents are falling to pieces, yeah. and no, they're just the piled. Floor. Yeah, they're piled strong. in a corner. Yeah, yeah. For the new books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, I, like just, just talking. You know, I mean, I, I collect rare books, and in rare books you find history, and the fact that people preserve rare books and they still change hands, and at high prices, in order for what? To collect and preserve. But most Nigerians visiting London will still go, given the chance, to go and see historic uh, historic buildings there, the Houses of Parliament, etc., etc. But we don't seem to care to create yeah. or preserve yeah. such here. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we demolish our, uh, our, our national structures. Our House of Representatives, the first parliament building, or the Legislative Council on Broad Street. Nobody, nobody even marks them. Um, there are no plaques. Well, the House of Representatives was converted into some offices. You know, um, all the statues that were there were removed. One of the statues is in a cupboard in the National Museum. If I take you there, you, 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 you'll be sad. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a, po it's a policy that needs to be drawn up. It is a heightened emergency that needs to be emphasized, and it needs to, uh, you know, it needs to represent and occupy a prominent place in our national thinking. And if anybody needs any convincing, you need to be convinced of how much it contributes to productivity. If you think this is a fancy of some corduroy trouser wearing uh, turtleneck and uh, boots academics you're mistaken mm -hmm. it is a national asset yeah this is a national asset we are yeah. throwing away yeah. an asset that has economic mm -hmm. and productive consequences okay so i mean you're an intellectual 
you you once had ambition to be governor of Lagos. It didn't quite happen. Let's even remove the quiet. It didn't happen. <laughs> what is how how well do you think an intellectual fares in in our in our political structure? Well, I, I you know um, the purpose of politics is power. The only reason why any honest politician should be involved in politics is to acquire power. The purpose of power is to affect people's lives for the better. Um, so I'm not sure whether intellect alone qualifies you to play politics. Mm -hmm. uh, it certainly isn't a platform for you to acquire power alone. Now, having a processed way of thinking, whether it's an asset to have, the jury's out. I think it's your honesty of purpose and your dedication to the public. Um, we have our own prototype right now of a popular politician in Nigeria, and it 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 has it has a, a it has a bio data that doesn't really it's not really fit for purpose. So until we change that bio data, maybe we we will we will struggle with political representation. So I'm trying to be delicate. With yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'll just ask two small related questions and then I'll move on from that, from the delicate question. Had you succeeded, would you have uh, left to one side these historical searchings that you're doing? And not having succeeded, uh, how, do, how do you... How do you now approach this other thing for which this podcast has come to you today? Well, well let me answer the second one first. I mean, I, I'm... I, like, Is your resolve strengthened no, to it, keep it, pursuing your interest in, yeah. in, in history? Yeah, yeah. It is, it is absolutely fortified. Because don't forget, I, I, I start from the premise that a public service is a calling. It's not a job. And I think I have a calling for public service. So my work in history is a public service. Getting political office is, it is a bonus sometimes. Sometimes it's a burden. Sometimes it's a duty. But that's not the only way in which you can serve the public. So I still consider myself to be in public service. Um, and through, through these, these means that I, um, that I, that I participate in. Um, had I succeeded in acquiring public office, whether I would have, I, I, I don't, the history is too deeply ingrained in me for it not to have um, occupied um, that space. Even now in private life, um, I'm in total contact with uh, the Lagos Archives and Records Office, uh, Last Rap. Um, I donated material to them. I had the complete records of uh, Lagos Weekly Record, which is one of the earliest newspapers uh, of the Lagos colony, crown colony of Lagos. I've given my records to them, and I hope to be donating some of my new findings to them, because I want the public to have these things. When I acquire uh, archival material, I acquire it to be able to enjoy it, but I want the public to enjoy it. You want to? Okay. Now, when you, uh, it's, that's, that's a great thing you're doing, but when you give 
very important documents like that to a public uh, body in Nigeria? Are there caveats? Are there assurances that you <laughs> that you negotiate to ensure that these things will be preserved in the manner that they require? Because it's not always guaranteed in Nigeria, is why I'm asking. And let me be honest with you. What I've given to them, I've given them copies because I've been worried about this same point. <laughs> I like that. I've been worried about this same point. But, but in time, in time, when I can see the framework is there, we need to have these originals in the public custody. Um, so um, I, myself, I pay a pretty penny to acquire it from forgotten cupboards across United Kingdom, sometimes some in Germany. I mean, I, you know, we bid occasionally, one of my allies and I, we bid for archival material. We pay money to acquire so that we can consolidate Nigeria's treasures in one place and give it back to Nigeria because it's scattered across the world. Um, and it, it comes with a lot of pain, but there's a lot of joy in hunting down things that are important to us that are not here. And the hope is we will do an exhibition someday um, that will be accessible to the public. And that exhibition will be a springboard to it becoming a public record that can be maintained over time. And inspiring more enthusiasts. Hopefully. It's the first time I'm hearing of these uh, crusaders of the archives. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know of art a... auctions, but it's the first time I'm hearing of this kind mm. of a bidding that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have material um, out there. Um, they know it's of value to some people. They don't know how much value it is. Uh, and, you know, we, you just have to be a hunter. So I have a very gifted alliance, uh, gifted ally, uh, an alliance with um, Amanda Kirby, who you might know, Jolliba Heritage. She's wonderful. Uh, we comb the area for um auctionable and purchasable material so you trace episode by episode riveting uh recount of how the various parts of the 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 southern and the northern the northern protectorate especially how they were brought into line with to, to, to have their amalgamation come into being. Um, any, any, any episode in particular that you might want to talk about? Uh, I get asked this question so many times. And um, it, I guess if you had seven children, it'd be difficult to say which was your favorite. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, honestly, I couldn't say. But I am particularly attracted to the uh, iconic um, watershed that the 30th of September to the 1st of October 1960 represented. Okay. And that's how the documentary started. And I, I'm, I'm really, really, I get goosebumps when I think of that day. I guess go I get goosebumps because it was such a promising event um, for the world. Africa and this was the place that was supposed to be the was going to be the shining example of what the black man could achieve and 
Everybody said it. There you go. That's it. Nigeria is off on its way to become a leading actor on the world stage. So, for me, there is a certain significance that that promise held in comparison to where we are today. And then also, I guess, the other part that really attracts me is the, the women of the Eastern Province, um, who are often called the Abba Rioters, which is a total misnomer, a deliberate epithet given to them in order to denigrate the significance of what they were doing. But the women of the Eastern Province in 1929... Led by Nguayere <laughs> Wairua. <laughs> Wairua, okay. Um, and some other people. Uh, but she's, she's often picked out as an icon, but, but let's just leave it like that. But led by all of them, led of the way for a resistance uh, to colonial um, domination which was a, itself a military government which hadn't happened before in Nigeria. And, and I think, again, if I have to pick out pivotal moments, I'll, I'll pick those two, 1929 and 1960. Okay, 1929, 1960. Uh, with, with your um, narration of the Abba incident, for instance, um, and, and also even talking about Abel Kuta later in the documentary, you're not just telling a male-centered story. Mm. You're careful to also bring out and highlight the contributions of the women. These were women, yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy because... Like I could, in Lagos. Yeah, I could never have predicted it when I started writing the book. I told you, the spine of the story was eight governors. I had no knowledge it was going to bring out um, five women. <laughs> Do you Or 500 women, for that matter. And it was so revealing to see the place that women held in the history of making of Nigeria. And that's never, it's never openly acknowledged. It's never. Why is that? Again, it's the narrative. It's, it's how we've chosen, you know, we've got, we've got information records, we've got national archives, and they're all skewed to this. We had three great leaders, the founding fathers of Nigeria, and that was it. No, that wasn't it. There were many founding founding mothers, founding aunties, founding brothers, founding fathers of all walks and sizes. It's clear by the end of the documentary that you are keen to dispel this this narrative of the founding fathers and bring it back and locate the achievement of Nigeria's independence in the struggles of the people. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 and, and I don't think it's something that I choose to do. I think that's what the story does itself. Um, and the hope is that I, I don't, of course, um, I have great admiration for Nandi Azikwe and uh, huge uh, admiration for Abafemi Aulo and Amadou Bello and, and all the other... Herbert Macaulay. Oh, Herbert Macaulay was a character, wasn't he? Special guy. <laughs> but is to say that those guys single-handedly created Nigeria now. Not true. 
not true. Not true. Not true. So let's come to Lugard. Yes, Lugard. And you say Lugard. Lugard. Okay. <laughs> Lugard. Yes. Let's shatter a myth yeah. here, you say. Mm. You shred Frederick Lugard, Lugard into pieces. Talk about that. Well, I mean, I mean, I, well, shred him to pieces. He was a despicable character. I mean, as you were, as you were, as you were talking about him, I just kept. I was reminded of this poem by Ogaga Ifoodo. Hmm. God punish you, Lord Lugard. Yes, yes. I should have recited it, but I just felt you know it would have been over the top, and, and I wanted it to be historical and not. Um, I didn't want to be deliberately um, offensive. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I tried to restrain myself. But mm -hmm. I'm a Nigerian, and I, I, I feel the the pain of the consequences of many things he did. Mm -hmm. But the, the 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 storyteller in me had to leave that out and just tell it as the history could 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 project. And and there's enough of that in it because it's clear he was a bloodthirsty. Yeah, yeah. And so and so manipulative, bloodthirsty, overambitious. Otherwise, an unremarkable man. He was a racist, segregationist. Uh, mercenary. Yeah, mercenary. Yeah. Much of what he did, he did for money. Um, he, he wasn't a regular soldier by the time he got to Nigeria. Um, he was a paid combatant uh, who then converted himself somehow into I, what I'd like to say a hybrid between the foreign and colonial service, and I'm not sure which one he could claim he really belonged to. Um, with the with the help of his girlfriend and later his wife, he just climbed Flora the ladder. Shaw. Yeah, he climbed the ladder of importance, and um, he's actually now um, not even placed in his proper position either in British history or Nigerian history. And I think that needs to change. I really think that needs to change. We need to see him for who he really was. And so places like Kogi House of Assembly or State House and Kaduna shouldn't be naming monuments after Lord Lugard. I'm not saying take his name off streets because we need to have his name in our history. But places of public significance, significance. and democratic um, relevance shouldn't be named after him. You can't have the State House called Lugard House. You can't have the House of Assembly called Lugard Building or whatever. It's just, I think that's wrong. Okay, so you <laughs> recast his name as Lugard, as in Lu. Ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 that's the pronunciation. No, no, no. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a Germanic name. Okay. Um, so, so it's, its origins, my guess, would be possibly Scandinavian, possibly German. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not to say that he's a total, total British, total British uh, fellow. Mm -hmm. um, his father was British Army. He was British Army at some point. Um, uh, clergyman, uh, clergy uh, roots. Not not a very distinguished upper class background, but mm -hmm. enough to to entitle him to the privileges of the Edwardian and Victorian times. Yeah. So so Lugard is the proper pronunciation as opposed to Lugard, which we Nigerians tend uh, to. Uh, yeah. 
But okay. then, who cares? But I, yeah, <laughs> you I, can't I, pronounce my name. I'm, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> our, you know, irreverence for his name. Actually, <laughs> 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 you know, you've just touched on uh, naming uh, buildings after someone like Lugard, and we're in this era of Black Lives Matter yeah. activism now and a lot of debate all around the world monuments, about yeah. monuments, mm -hmm. about who should we erect uh, statues to. And on the documentary, you do visit uh, the place where there's a statue of uh, Lugard. And Florida. How did you feel then and how do you feel now, especially in the current atmosphere where we're re-examining these things? Yeah, that day was that day was another goosebump day. Okay, so you know we set out from. I think we probably set out from Abuja that day by road, and we went to um, to Jeba. Uh, we went to a place called Mount Patti, and it, it's it's a mountain. Okay, not not a huge mountain, but it's a mountain nevertheless. It's a very windy, quite treacherous climb to the top. That we went up to and it was a whole day of the affair and we had only one mission to get to this place called Lugard restaurant and to see these two statues preserved under the name like of like some kind of monastery yeah. like a place of meditation almost worshipful kind isolate, of setting absolutely isolated in this reverence at the top of a mountain and under the authority of the federal government so that place is maintained and under the budget of Nigeria to keep this cemetery in honor of somebody who did us great dishonor. Who said I have lived all my life largely among my inferiors? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Uh, and, but, you know, man in, man, in, man in context, to go back to Black Lives Matter, monuments, and what to do, I think that there is nothing wrong with keeping um, records of history and there is nothing wrong with keeping even effigies and statues but not in a celebratory way of people who are not to be celebrated in history so his statue belongs in a museum where there will be a description of what he did not to be celebrated in a place of prominence and reverence in our national and open public spaces uh, so that people misinterpret who he is. No, that, that's where, I, that's where I, 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 I draw the line. And you say on film, this was no hero. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a hero. Okay. So his um, face off with the Shehu of Borgu, I loved the way you narrated it. The majestic sight of the Sultan's army. Mm. The Shehu of Borgu is said to have stood in his magnificent splendor in front of Lugard. Mm, yeah, and the show of Bonu, yeah. Okay, uh, it's yeah, Bonu, right? Yeah, show of Bonu. Uh, and, and, you know, the Shehu was probably one of the most pragmatic period of people of his period, um, in the sense that he saw the futility in fighting this external force. And all he wanted was to ensure that his way of life would be preserved. Little did he know that Lugard's entire mission was to subjugate his people in their way of life and deprive them of the fruits of their land 
so that they would not enjoy any form of development or progress. So the question he was asking Lugard was a piece of cake. It was easy for him to say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I want you to remain illiterate. I want you to remain just as you are, so that while I'm digging up your gold, while I'm digging up your tin, you just, just stay there, and, you know, keep your people poor and happy. So they, they had uh, their understanding of the conversations that they were, that the conversation were totally different. Miles apart. Totally different. March 15, 1903. Hmm. Anything more you want to say about that? What else is there to say except to say that um, uh, I, I think the resistance of that day needs to be escalated into a national resistance. It's easy to say that these were Sokoto people who were fighting for their emirates, caliphate, or what have you, but those were Nigerians to be. Uh, and to the extent that they were fighting for a piece of Nigeria's history not to be, I think we, it needs to be brought to national national consciousness. That day, the actors, what they did, their resistance, the reason of their resistance. And if you remember, I quote, and I can't say the quote off head here now, I quote what Sultan Atahiru said to him. You will not be among us. Yes. Or something yeah, it like was, that. It was a very, very devastating... Uh, res you will never be among us. Yes. And if it is death that God has ordained, then let us die. Uh, uh, words to that effect. And it was, and, and those were the words that he said, bring it on. Let's, let's have you. Uh, so they were resisting an oh yeah. invading oh yeah. army. Oh yeah. Military. Yeah. A military force. Yeah. And part of what you do in the book and the documentary so well is demystifying, demystifying many of these colonial figures who we've been taught down the decades to, to, to be reverential about. Beecroft, Consul mm. John Beecroft, mm. is, you said he quickly became notorious and infamous. H.H. <laughs> H. Uh, Johnson, yeah. tricking the Dada uh, or King Dada of Opobo. Yeah, yeah, he did, he did. Uh, well, they, everybody has to be looked at in the context of their time. Um, it's difficult for you to judge people by today's um, values, today's um, context. But it's also important to realize that inhumanity is inhumanity for all time. And there is no excuse for inhumanity, whether over a spectrum of years or centuries or decades. So, but, but um, th those men um, did despicable things that I'm not sure that... Um, Ancestry should be proud of, but should acknowledge and accept as historical fact. And there's a rehabilitation in your work of figures such as, I mean, you, you write sympathetically about Obadusumu, for instance, Dada mm -hmm. of Opobo, deported to the West Indies of all places, <laughs> must have been traumatic. <laughs> you know, yeah. just... Um, Talk about that a bit, about this... Again, fixing people in the context of their time. About um, Ovom, Ovom Ranwen. Ovom Ranwen. Uh, uh, yeah. Exiled to Calabar. Yeah. 
you, you fix people in the context of their time and their, their, what they know and what they knew when they knew it uh, and what, what, what was available to them uh, in all sorts of ways. Naivety can be looked at with the benefit of hindsight to be, you know, a failing. But naivete today might have been wisdom way back then. So I, I am sympathetic of them because they were up against a devastating and cynical external aggression that they could never have imagined. They couldn't have imagined. There's no way that Alvaroen could have imagined the, the, the firepower that would be rained on him in a matter of one month from the original event of the invasion. There's no way. During the punitive ex expedition. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Now, over 4,000 artifacts looted mm -hmm. from Benin mm -hmm. when Benin was ancient Benin mm -hmm. sacked. Mm -hmm. And um, a good number of those at the British Museum. Mm -hmm. Also, debate now raging with more fierceness than ever about the restitution of looted African art. Mm -hmm. Where, what's your take on this? Well, actually, um, did you visit the British Museum as part of making this documentary? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't, I didn't. It's part of my next project, which I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> okay. But, um, uh, yeah, the, um, not, not just that exhibition alone. There's so many uh, ways in which uh, national treasures were removed. Um, again, you know, it, it's, it's a theft. And every theft is a, a permanent deprivation, but it has consequences. Uh, and my take on, on, on saying, and what was the excuse in the Benin expedition? They said they were taking these artifacts to pay for the expedition. So hang on, let me figure this out. You, you came to punish me, <laughs> and then you took away the payment for punishing me. So you were going to fund the punishment with my stuff, oh, come on. That's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. tough. That's mm -hmm. tough. Even with the benefit of history, it's yeah. uh, it's a very painful, painful thing to, to consume. So, so there's 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 clamor for the return. I of... support that clamor, and and, and, and it's, it's in my next project. So okay. yeah. Which you're not going to talk about. Which you are not. Maybe when about. next. <laughs> maybe when next we talk. Maybe when next we talk. So uh, and and then later on. Uh, Eva Valley, as mentioned earlier, the Aba Women's War, Abe Okuta, Pele Wura in Lagos. Michael Imodu, you were going to talk about him earlier. Yeah, Michael Imodu is one and, of my And favorite. now, how many Nigerians know about yeah, him now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those who, don't, those who do know him, or of him, know him as a, an old man who they used to wheel out every once, made the first every so often, and celebrate as a labor leader, forgetting... Uh, the virile young man who risked in his thirties risked uh, risked his life and liberty uh, to to resist what was discrimination, with unfair conditions, and is a search for self determination through the labor unions. Um, yeah, that's a national hero. That's a hero any day. Anybody's definition. And your your narration of the 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 strike, the mm -hmm. fifty two day strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nineteen forty five strike uh, was again a first of its kind in 
um, uh, colonial Africa, where they shut down the economy of a major colony. They shut down Nigeria, as in the revenue of the colony lost money because the black African citizens said no. Uh, that hadn't been done before, and and it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. I think I'm not sure whether I make the statement, but I that was a turning point. That was one of the turning points in creating creating Nigeria because they said, "Hang on, these people are not the easy pushovers that we thought they were." Yeah. So the people fought tooth and nail for mm. this for this country. Mm, I'm not sure that was a plateau of gold. But I mean, left for you to decide. Yeah. Um, even the Gary, Gary, <laughs> the humble Gary was once a big deal. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Gary, Gary was a, it was a commodity, wasn't it? It was um, a bit like an economic product that was now placed in between the rulers and the ruled. It was a tug of war to control this resource, this mainstay would mean who controlled the economy. Uh, and that was quickly focused on by both sides. No, you will not control a bit like bread in the French Revolution. Mm. Yeah. So once something is so basic and it's so important to a people, you know, the rulers will want to control it. And, and that's what happened. So you've said that this documentary took, what, nine months? Oh no, um, the shooting took yeah. nine months. The traveling of the shooting took nine months. Uh, Post-production, probably another six. I think 18 months will probably be an accurate uh, period of time. Again, a lot of it was as a result of the fact that I'm, I have other things. I was a big headache for the producers because my availability between, <laughs> you know, um, but then having said that, we went to a lot of places. So yeah, yeah it took 18 months. What are some of the interesting places you, you, you visited? You were in Jamaica? Yeah, yeah, no, we didn't actually go to Jamaica. Okay. We, we, we filmed and got some um, footage from there. Okay. But we went to London. Um, we went to uh, Sokoto, Kanu, Calabar, Aba, Lagos, uh, uh, Jeba, um, Abuja. Oh, You're we... shown getting on an Okada in Aba. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. What are some of the interesting behind-the-scenes uh, experiences it's during the filming of this it's, documentary? It's, inter it's interesting, actually, because uh, in the in, when it's released, um, there is a an additional episode called "The Making of," and that, that's really interesting because we didn't realize we had so much useless footage and we put it together to see uh what what we went but so some behind the scene things that were interesting that are inside that clip um little episode was um some of the things that didn't happen didn't go very well mm -hmm. yeah because that's also part of the story i'm interested in hearing one or two of those <laughs> there was one 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 you were on a tractor somewhere <laughs> oh boy that was scary in eva valley yeah, was it that was in eva valley and it's it's a gully to go down there and there was no car with 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 the producers god bless them had hired lovely uh, suvs picked us up we got crew everybody got there 
it had rained treacherously that day. And here we were with red earth to go down into a gully. None of these SUVs could make it. They got stuck without a, without a... So we had to get on the tipper. Mm -hmm. So only the tippers could go down there. And the reason why the tippers were going down there was to collect sand. And so we were... So they collected you people also. Oh, boy. That was an experience. Wow. Uh, the other one was when we were in, um, I think we were in Southern Kaduna. Um, and we um, we went to this village setting just to try and um, show uh, what, what rural uh, Nigeria would have been like to Lugard at the time. And we had this herd of cows um which was nice and interesting to catch from uh, afar maybe from afar but then we had this great guy called Sadhus who had a drone who used to shoot aerial shots from us okay. and as soon as the cows heard the bzzz of the of the, the drone they took <laughs> off <laughs> and they took off and we were scared because they were heading in all sorts of directions so that didn't go very well. It's not going to take. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, when you're shown uh, at locations like the, the Wall of Kano, mm. I mean, it's, it's clear there your, your admiration for the achievements mm. of, of the, the people in the past. Mm. Yes, mm. Mm. of the time, mm. Mm. you know. Yeah, and and, and, yeah. and it comes through on the screen. Yeah, uh, again, again, these are feats that are not, in any other country in the world, they would be celebrated. They would be preserved. And the Great Wall of the, the Great Wall of Kano is a UNESCO heritage site. Who knows that in Nigeria? It is listed as a UNESCO heritage site. I don't know who travels to the Wall of Kano to visit it. You know, I, 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 it's it's incredible. We need to change um, policy planning around um, heritage. Um, Heritage is very important. Yeah. And also maybe what we teach young children in schools and so on. Yes, but you know, I think let, if I could just focus on that word heritage for a minute, um, because it's often, um, it's often um, misplaced in our conversation. People, people talk about tradition and culture. Even some people say traditional culture. I mean, if there's any oxymoron, of course. I mean, they say, oh, sorry, not in our traditional culture. I mean, there's no such thing. Now, tradition and culture are pretty debatable things. But heritage is something we've all agreed that belongs to all of us. And I think the more often we claim a heritage, the more unifying those things become and the more nation building that they, they, they achieve. And so heritage is important. Um, so, so things like um, Madison Square Gardens, um, um, Stonehenge, um, Mount Rushmore, um, you know, uh, Niagara Falls, Victoria Falls, uh, you know, those things are national heritage. But we don't accept enough of it in, in this country, and I think we, the more we need to emphasize that more. What about the teaching of history in the Nigerian educational system? It's it's going to be a problem. It's going to be. They say they're bringing it back. 
<laughs> I don't know who I mean by they. <laughs> yeah. They're bringing it back. Some people say it's back, but I don't see much evidence of it so far. Where are the history theaters, for instance? That's the, that's the problem. We're, we're, we're still a way away uh, because we've lost a generation of history teachers. So got, who's going to teach the teachers? Who's going to teach the teachers? Because the teachers have to teach the students. So once you've lost that resource, we've got to build it back. So we are still a little way away. But the fact that it's back in our policy making is a blessing. It's something that I'm happy. It's a statement of intent. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear it. I need to see it. Okay, great. So what are you writing next? Uh, what are you writing now? Uh, well, I'm doing, we're, we're doing um, a couple of documentaries. Documentaries. I've written scripts for like three projects. Um, I don't know what's going to happen first. Depends on which the producers feel is viable. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Book-wise, I'm starting a biography um, on prominent Nigerian. Um, but I'm looking forward to the next documentary. Really, there's one. It's a really great script. Even if I say so myself that is more or less finished. I can't wait for it to go into production. I can't wait, but no money. We're waiting for, for funding. funding. Okay. <laughs> so what's your writing day like? You're doing a lot of writing right. and I'm always interested yeah. in right. the process. Right. Um, my best thinking and therefore writing, I, because I don't know what other people do. I, I only can write when I'm thinking. So my best thinking happens in the morning. Um, so, so I love the sun. I love sunrise. Um, when I want to really get in the zone, it comes easily to me. It doesn't always come. It comes easily to me by getting up at four or five and starting. And then enjoying the glow of sunrise really helps me and so that by 10, 12, I'm done. I don't do anything in the afternoon. Okay. <laughs> I just can't function in the afternoon. So that's my writing day. Do I have special places? People say, oh, I go away. I, do, I need to be. No, I, I like noise. I like, noise? Yeah, I like noise. When you're writing. Yeah, I zone out. Okay. I just zone out. <laughs> Not like you. <laughs> wow. I zone out. I zone out. Um, do I have favorite places? Yes, I, there's a little patio there that I like. Mm -hmm. But if I'm writing, I put on the TV. I like noise. Yeah, I've seen the patio. There's a lot of sun, a yeah. lot of sunlight yeah, coming yeah. in. So, yeah, so, yeah I, I like that. It's... Okay. You have these ah. Nigeria Quarterly ah. magazine. Oh, I should touch that no. with care. Yes, please do. Okay. Well, touch it nevertheless. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, my. This is the 1953, uh, well, 1956 brochure. The Queen's Tour the of Nigeria. Yeah, that's an original. 1956? Yeah, that's an original. That's the original. Commemorating the visit of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and HRH, the Duke of Edinburgh. It, it's some and some fantastic pictures here. Uh, so I just got this. Uh, we took, we placed a bid and we won some. Stuff. And it's in good condition too. It's in great condition, but it has to be handled with care. Um, 
some really great pictures, really, really great pictures uh, of, of like this. You see Olujibo who's giving the queen a, a And nice so even the usually unnamed, you know, flower presenters, they're named here. Yeah, they're named because this is contemporaneous. Don't forget, this was issued at the time. At the time. So it's, um, uh, it's uh, I think this is a, this is a real good catch. Um, I'm hoping to to make um, proper notes, get it a preservatory jacket so that it has another 50 years to live. It's lived for over 50 years and long may it live. Um, long may it live. Yeah. So this is the Queen's visit. I've got some other stuff here. Um, this is the quarterly uh, magazine, 1950, mm -hmm. um, of what was going on in Nigeria at the time. What was mm -hmm. These reports were government-issued reports to Home Office yeah. to say this is what we're doing. Um, um, and you can see how they've represented mm -hmm. the black man mm. in, in very derogatory terms. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, this one is another, same, well, the quarterly 1956. Yeah. Um, the British Survey, Nigeria. Yeah. yeah, this is the school edition. Which was, um, I think this is this is dated nineteen twenty something. Uh, the date eludes me now. Mm -hmm. um, just hold on a minute. Uh, yeah, nineteen forty three. Nineteen forty three. Yeah, it's British survey. Nineteen forty three. Another one from nineteen fifty. And then these are the reports of the Constitutional Conference in 1958 and 1957, respectively. And then this is the original report of the 1914, the year of the amalgamation. This is the original. Um, and then one from the year before, 1914. So we just won these in a bit. Just trying to collect archival material, return them home, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and try and preserve them and hopefully one day exhibit them to the people. The oldest book I own is um, is a, a record of the British parliamentary um, hearings on Nigeria in 1865. Well, I'm looking at say, it now. When, when I say Nigeria, I mean the colony of Lagos, but mm -hmm. yeah. it suffices nevertheless. Mm -hmm. 1865. And then there's another one on Glover here, 1897. It's my, written by his wife about his life. Quite a volume too. Yeah, it's, it's really, not, I mean, it's not slim. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's in good condition too. Okay, great. Uh, so, um, try, I try to collect them. <laughs> not easy, but... Um, well, thank you. Thank you for doing all that. Uh, so you've talked about writing scripts and what about, oh, you've, you're working on a biography of someone who shall not be named shall yet. Not be named yet. So that's what you're doing now. Yeah, as far well, as books are concerned, yeah. Okay, good luck with it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for Thank talking you. to Art for the People podcast. Thank you, Madara. Art for the People is supported by Radio Now 101.9 FM, Lagos. Mima is our producer. Music is by Edauto, and I'm your host, Malara Wood. We value your feedback, so 
Please leave a comment to let us know your views on the show. Rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Share links with your friends. And, very important, subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, take care of yourselves and thanks for listening. Ejabara wa ya yo Ejabara ni sotoro Ejabara ni sotoro